Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, we appreciate it. I am so excited about our podcast guest that we have today because we're going to be talking about an animal that I always dreamed of working with. We're going to be talking about sea lions, and our podcast guest today is a current sea lion keeper at the Essex County Turtleback Zoo in West Orange, New Jersey. She also used to train sea lions for the Marine Mammal Program with the Navy. I cannot wait to talk to her. Please welcome to the podcast, Sam. Welcome. Hello, everyone. (laughs) And thank you for doing this because I know you are sick. No problem. Sorry, I... Sound a little weird. <clears throat> For those of you wondering, Sam is not a man. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're the one that made that joke. Uh, well, thank you so much once again. You have a dream job. You know that, right? Uh, some people tell me so. That is true. It's a pretty fun job. Yes. And so you're a current sea lion keeper. Have you always wanted to work with sea lions? Uh, that's actually uh, a good question. I've always wanted to work with marine mammals. Um uh, my favorite animal was actually dolphins when I was growing up. I wanted to be a dolphin trainer ever since I was little. Uh, you know, your typical story, went to SeaWorld when I was a kid, fell in love. Dolphins, 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 that's all I cared about um, when I was five. And then I told everybody I wanted to be a marine biologist. And um, ever since then, that's just kind of what I set my, put my mind to, and I went for it. And then I work with both dolphins and sea lions, and I don't know, sea lions won me over, and ever since then, that's been it. They've been my favorite. Okay, okay, because I didn't know if you couldn't make it with dolphins, that's why you went to sea lions. No, I did do the dolphin thing for a little bit, but um, I don't know, sea lions are just, uh, dolphins are cool too, but sea lions are just right there, up in your face, up close and personal. Um, They've got really cool personalities, and... Uh, they're pretty eager to please, um, and they're just uh, like really, really cool animals to work with. What was something that surprised you when you worked with dolphins? Uh, what's something that surprised me? Uh, they're obviously very intelligent. Everybody knows that. Um, you know, there's that common mis- misconception that they're always smiling, uh, but that's not always the case. They're very clever, and as with any animal that you're training, they always have the choice to just take off so with a dolphin if they don't want to hang out they just swim away so we used to compare them to like cats like dolphins were like cats like sometimes they want to hang out with you and sometimes they just meh and they just swim away and and sea lions were kind of like dogs where they were kind of really super eager to please i mean they're not all like dogs not all dolphins are like cats but uh sea lions were kind of just always right there and up close and personal and you know, what do you want to do next? So that's kind of when I fell in love with them and that's been it ever since. So you would say sea lions are easier to train than dolphins? I mean, I wouldn't say easier. I mean, dolphins are definitely a challenge because you have to get, you know, you have to work through that in the training process of how you're going to get through to them. And with that difference between them being in the water and you being on land, the difference with sea lions is, you're both on land. So in one hand, that's a good thing. In the other hand, 
that can be a bad thing because they're right up there in your face. So if they're not happy with you, you're right there. So, um, uh, you know, that could work in your favor, but also not so much. Um, so I wouldn't say one was easier than the other. Um, you know, they have different levels of intelligence. Uh, but uh, for some reason, I just kind of latched on to the sea lion personality. And people, people have told me um, throughout my career that I'm quote unquote, definitely a sea lion trainer. I'm not sure exactly what that means or if it's a compliment, <laughs> but you know, we kind of do get like into these like, you know, stereotypes and I mean, I take it as a compliment, but I'm, I'm not quite sure if it is. <laughs> <laughs> so let's back up a little bit because you were born and raised in New Jersey, correct? Yes. Okay, so how do you work? Like, how do you work with dolphins in New Jersey? Like, so you went to school. I'm assuming college, correct? Yes. So uh, I went to school at the University of Rhode Island. I studied marine biology with a minor in art, which oh. has nothing to do with each other. Um, <laughs> but I needed a little break from the sciences. <laughs> um, as a kid, I thought actually being a marine biologist was what you needed to do to be, uh, you know, a marine mammal trainer. When in reality, actually, these days, kids out there, if you're looking to be a marine mammal trainer, you don't necessarily have to um, study any of the specific uh, biologies. Um, some people study psychology, and they get just as far because it is behavioral science. Training is um, is a science in itself. So a lot of people go the psychology route if they don't really dig the biologies, chemistry, physics, all oh. that stuff that I ended up taking and struggling through in college. <laughs> but, um, hence why I was like, I'm going to go paint for a few minutes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I studied marine biology um, and art at URI. I took, um, you know, those core classes and some marine biology classes. A lot of the stuff up there um, is based on a lot of coastal uh, marine biology, though. But there was one really cool seminar that I took at uh, Mystic Aquarium, actually, that was based on marine mammals. Um, so they offer that through URI and UConn. We took that class together. And I aced that one, that's for sure. Because <laughs> that was my favorite class. And then after that, I did, uh, well, actually, while I was in school, I interned at Moat Marine Lab in Sarasota, Florida. Um, I did an offshore cetacean ecology research project with just some dolphin photo ID with bottlenose dolphins and spotted dolphins. Oh. Um, so they were doing an ecology project uh, trying to mirror dolphin behavior with uh, local ecology. Um, <clears throat> so basically matched up um, dolphin uh, dorsal fin photos and did a lot of GPS plotting and stuff like that. That was kind of when I figured out that the lab wasn't for me. <laughs> I was good at photo ID, but I was like, you know, we went out on the boat like once every couple of weeks, which was awesome. And then the rest of the time I was like, I got a computer and I was like, this is not my jam. <laughs> you sound just like me. Cause I went the whole biology route 
and you know, with the scientists, and I found out like, you know what, the lab is not for me. I'm a loud person. Like, I want to be out in the field. <laughs> I want to talk to people. Anyway, so just knowing that, I guess, would you have just pursued a psychology degree over a biology degree if you would have known? Probably, actually. I mean, I've always I always liked the sciences growing up, um, but. I think where uh, I faltered and, you know, like things are so different these days with like the internet and there's so much more guidance. Like when I was in college, even like this was like the dawn of, you know, like I was that generation where chat rooms and all that stuff were like all new when I was in like middle school to high school. So there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, guidance for me as far as where to go. Everybody in my life was very supportive, but I made up my own internship. Like I went to my, you know, school and was like, Hey, I'm going to this place and I'm just gonna, can you give me credits? And they were just like, (laughs) sure. You know, but it wasn't like a formal internship program or anything like places have now. If I had known, um, even though I liked the sciences, I really could have done without the physics and the chemistry, like really could have done without the biochemistry and organic chemistry. It was not good at that stuff. Oh um, my goodness. I just barely squeaked through on those guys. So I think maybe I could have, if I could have like majored in a psychology and minored in a biology or something like that, I would, I probably would have done a lot better and, and, um, you know, been a lot more engaged. Plus, uh, I loved my school, but I, you know, my school was one of those big lecture hall type schools where there were 500 kids. So it was really easy to just kind of like check out, <laughs> not really show up at all. Um, <laughs> you know, but I went to that Marine Mammal seminar every time, I swear, and art class every time. But, you know, I wish I had known, like, I wish I had a little more guidance, especially with the internship stuff. Because even back in the day, you know, the internships that I ended up doing, I totally, like, stumbled into. Versus, like, when I look back at so many of the options that kids have now, you know, that's why I like talking to people like you and, you know, any tour groups that come through. Like, I love talking to people about stuff like this because I'm like, Hey, there's so many resources. Like, I hope that you use those resources because, you know, they just didn't have them for kids like us. You know, it's just uh, there's stuff out there and there's research out there and there's organizations out there that are built for people who have dreams and aspirations like we did. But, um, man, when I was a kid, you know, it was just like making it up as we're going along and we made it. But, you know, we were just making it up. So. I wish you, I kind of had known. Yeah. You you can't be that old, Sam. <laughs> I mean, I'm not old, but You're I'm that, like, middle generation where like, you know, I remember what it was like to have to call your friend's house and talk to like every single one of their family members before you got to the person. <laughs> and and like to not have a cell phone. Like I remember those days. I kind of I miss those days a little oh, bit. Oh yeah. So oh, I, yeah, yeah, I remember that. So you basically you graduate college with top honors. Yeah. <laughs> chemistry. Yeah, except chemistry. Chemistry was hard, and you know what? I literally lived at the university. Luckily, I I I worked for myself, so I was able to work my own schedule. But I would stay at the university for 12, 13 hours at a time in in study groups. I'm not kidding. Chemistry was so difficult for me too. Yeah, it was the worst. 
It was horrible. And I couldn't tell you anything right now about it. Like if someone gave me an, an organic chemistry problem, I'd be like, Poof. Yo, let me tell you something. Okay. My chemistry department at the time I was in school was like on some sort of probation because they were failing too many students. <laughs> so they were only allowed to uh, fail five students per class. So out of my class, out of like a hundred and something students, they were only allowed to fail five. So I passed chemistry 102 with a 53. <laughs> <laughs> so like, kids, you got this. You can do it. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Yeah, chemistry is definitely difficult. You can achieve it. <laughs> C's get degrees. Well, I guess F's get. I, I don't yeah, know. I think that's a D. I don't even. Ooh. Yeah, D or nope, F. Who knows? It might be an F. Yeah. So you graduate college. What happens next? So I graduate college and I um, assume that with my one internship, like I'm just going to be a dolphin trainer now. Yeah. And um, I worked at a summer camp with kids and I was just kind of hanging around New Jersey and uh, applying for jobs, applying for jobs, couldn't get a job. I was working at a local university, just like doing administrative assistant stuff. Um, and I was really struggling. Like I, I just couldn't find a job. I couldn't like land an interview or anything. And then I applied for a job for the Navy Marine Mammal Program. And they actually contacted me and said, hey, you don't qualify for a job at all, but you do qualify for our internship. Do you want one? Or like, do you want to interview for one? And so I did. And I saved up a little bit of money. And I ended up um, interviewing for the internship and then accepting a, a spring internship. So then I packed up all my stuff and moved out to San Diego with no car, no job, no money, nowhere to live. Just moved oh to San God. Diego. Lived on some guy's couch for a little bit. <laughs> and... Uh, I had a couple of friends of friends who happened to also have moved there at the same time. We all moved in together. And then I did the internship, which was about 18 weeks long, like greatest 18 weeks of my life. Uh, like such a good program, an amazing program, you know, like hands-on stuff with dolphins. Um, we did a little bit of stuff with sea lions, you know, a little bit of research stuff, a little bit of husbandry stuff, just a little bit of everything. Um, and the coolest thing about their internship is um, they like to hire from within their pool of interns. And they, they basically interview everyone at the end of the internship and, like, you know, keep you in mind. So uh, they interviewed me at the end of my internship. I lived in San Diego for about a year. Um, so including my internship, I worked at, like, a local um, dog and cat shelter slash kennel so kind of stayed in the animal field while I was still applying to other jobs you know went on a bunch of swim tests because I don't know if you knew this but in the marine mammal field like every job also comes with like a swim and or scuba dive test oh yeah so so let's talk about that because I had friends in SeaWorld and they were talking about like you have to dive like 45 feet and pick up weights and like this ice cold water. And it sounded awful. Yeah. It's pretty intense. I've been through it a couple of times. Um, 
every facility kind of has their own, you know, criteria, um, you know, anywhere from treading water with your hands above your head while you're holding a conversation, diving 30 feet down to get away, but while looking pretty, diving off of a bridge while pointing your toes, swimming freestyle against each other while, you know, having good form under a certain period of time. The breath hold is the part that always got me, which really the part that always got me is that I would also come up from the breath hold, failing it, cursing in front of the person who was important. That's what always disqualified me. Uh, Ask my friends. This happens every time. And then uh, sometimes there was like a choreography portion where you had to dance. Or they no, wait, wait, like, no. Is is this with the marine mammal program, or is this with a different facility? All different <laughs> facilities. Oh, but the Navy does have a swim test. Okay. They also have a scuba dive test because they have a very rigorous dive program as well. So um, you have to actually prove that you are like a a good scuba diver. So um, it's almost like a repeat of what your normal scuba dive certification test would be. Um, so they have that as well. Um, but, you know, there are places that have, like, an obstacle course while you're carrying buckets of ice and water. Um, you know, then you do all that stuff, and then you have to talk on mic to make sure you're not sound out of breath. Like, there's places that do all that um, kind of stuff, make you do presentations that are goofy or read off of a script or memorize an entire script. I've had places that, you know, three days before your interview, they say, oh, memorize this entire script, and it's 15 pages long. Like, all sorts of stuff. So... You know, you've got to be good at public speaking. You've got to be good at swimming. You've got to be scuba certified. You've got to have a good personality. you got to be good at dancing. You know, there's a lot of things that you've got to be pretty good at. So it's a very competitive field. So, you know, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I could get one of these jobs. But, man, it's pretty intense. So, uh, you know, after my internship, I did struggle for a little while, kind of applying and applying and applying. You know, it's like, sitting in my apartment, like, dun, 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 like trying to send out my resumes, you know, like with the stamps and just um, eventually they actually did reach out to me because a position opened up at one of their facilities in Georgia. So I ended up accepting it and moving there. And I worked for them in Georgia for about four years with both dolphins and sea lions again. And then um, one day my mom called me and said, they're opening a sea lion exhibit at Turtleback Zoo. Time to come home. And, uh, you know, I'd been looking, you know, I lived on the East Coast, but I definitely didn't see my family as much as I wanted to. Um, you know, the majority of my family lives up this way. I would spent a lot of time living, obviously, um, in California, down in Georgia. I didn't mention, mention this before, but I studied abroad in Australia for a little while. Oh. <laughs> um. I'm an only child, so my parents were like, that's enough, time to come home. (laughs) So what I ended up doing was uh, I interviewed for a position at Turtleback, but it was just a relief keeper position. The uh, sea line exhibit didn't even exist yet. Um, It was just like a news article, like, hey, we're thinking about opening this. Oh, my gosh. uh, I basically put all my eggs in one basket. I moved home for a relief keeper position that was basically like, you know, unbenefited, like part-time type thing, like left my full-time career and was like, here we go, hopefully this works out, you know. uh, It was actually a really good experience for me because it gave me a a chance to work with 
every other animal that I had never worked with. So uh, the relief keeper position at Turtleback is basically like what other places would call a swing keeper. So uh, rotates throughout the whole zoo, covers in every section, anywhere from reptiles all the way around to big cats. So birds, small mammals, carnivores, um, you name it. So we did okay. a little bit of everything, aquarium. Um, and then, uh, you know, I did the little, oh, by the way, just so you know, um, I have, uh, you know, like five years of sea lion experience. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then they, one day, the director came to me and was like, hey, uh, rolls out the blueprints for the sea lion exhibit. and was like, what do you think of these? And I was like, oh, you know, like, I don't really know how to read blueprints, but like, it looks good to me. And then like a couple weeks later, he was like, so we're looking for sea lions. Like, you know anybody who has any? And then like a couple weeks after that, he's like, we got some sea lions, but uh, we don't have an exhibit yet. Can you go with them to Mystic Aquarium and take care of them? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he was like, think about it for like 24 hours. I'm like, I don't need to think about it. I'm going. And he was like, uh, okay, well, you know, just so you know, like, this doesn't mean you're definitely getting the full-time job. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'm going. And he was like, oh, okay. So I did it. And, uh, I, I, you know, our animals went to Mystic. They helped us house them for a couple months. And then the rest is history. I, I lucked out. I got one yeah. of the full-time positions. Um, so I willed that to happen somehow. And, uh, it worked out for me. So, you know, I've been taking care of our guys since our exhibit opened um, in 2013. You know, they came to us in 2012, late in 2012. And uh, the rest is history. We've been having a good time ever since. You took such a big risk, though, because you didn't know if you were going to get the position or not. Like, that's a huge, like, and the exhibit wasn't even built. Like, they could have, like, that could have just been, like, you know, just all talk. I mean, that's yeah. that's a huge thing. Okay. So let's back up because you were a relief keeper. Which was your least favorite part? Um, being, being a relief keeper, animal wise. I'm afraid of birds. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, like I'm not afraid of. Okay, all right, yeah, I'm afraid of birds. Like, okay, birds and I, we just. I got it from my mom. Like my mom, my mom's mom had like a parakeet that used to land on her sandwich when she was eating lunch when she was a kid and like then she instilled that in me so <laughs> when i was in birds um like it, it didn't matter every section had birds it's not, there was a bird section you know they had like penguins they were super cute like that was great mm -hmm. um every section like there were birds and reptiles those birds used to dive bomb me every time they saw me just poop like plunked me in the head then, <laughs> um there were two cans in uh, there was uh, like in the small mammal section. I walked into their exhibit. It pooped on my head. Okay. <laughs> uh, then I went into the turkey vulture exhibit, which was part of the bird department. Uh, she took one look at my face, puked, flew away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that's a defense mechanism, but like, <laughs> like I just I I don't know what I did to you to deserve this, but what's your problem so like there was and this all happened in like one week like they just every bird just hated me they could smell my fear i don't know so <clears throat> i just am bad at it like i just i you know i just i don't know how to handle them and they just you know i can't catch <laughs> them you know every time they ask for help and i try to net one i'm like yeah, i just <laughs> too delicate you know i just 
Oh my goodness. You would be terrified. I have a six foot tall emu. You'd be so scared of him. His name's he was the one thing that liked me. He had okay. access. And okay. he would he would come over and boom, boom, boom. Okay, he was like probably trying to hump my boots. But <laughs> he, he, was he would like put his head on my shoulder. He liked me. Oh yeah. So for the weirdest thing, so my emu, his name is, well, actually his name was Napoleon, but then we found out it was a female like 10 years later. But I thought like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm the best animal trainer. So when I would go up to Napoleon, she would, or he would at the time rough up his feathers, get down and then lay down on the ground. Then I would go over and pet his neck and I would think, wow, I'm like the Emu Whisperer. And then upon, you know, actually thinking what's going on, like it's, it's, it's assuming the, the mating position. <laughs> he likes me a lot or she likes me. Yeah. We, we found out like it was like two years ago. She actually, or he laid an egg and we were shocked. So anyway, female, but it's so beautiful. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Anyway, so back on to you. So you are at the Turtleback Zoo. You have a beautiful exhibit, which, by the way, and people, I'm going to put this in the in the episode notes. I had the privilege to film there. We filmed a webisode with you. Yes, you did. Were you just like, oh, crap? Were you just like, oh, this sucks? What do I have to do? Who is no, he? Like, I like oh, it. I'm so full of it. Did you like it? Yeah, I like doing stuff like that. Well, you gave us a great behind-the-scenes tour. Please tell us about the two sea lions that you're currently taking care of at the Turtleback Zoo. Yep, so we have two California sea lions. They're both males. We have JR. He is 27 years old. And we have Dyson. He is five years old. How long do sea lions typically live? Because I know you said JR is definitely older up there. Um, so in the wild, sea lions live into their early teens, you know, 10... Well, in zoos and aquariums, they can live into their 30s. Uh, 27 is pretty old. Um, JR is neutered, so uh, he's about 350 pounds right now, so he's a little bit on the smaller side. But, you know, he's more than doubled his life expectancy, but he gets really great veterinary care. So, you know, he's in pretty good shape, but he's definitely getting up there. So, you know, this year... He, um, you know, got an echocardiogram voluntarily. He participates in all of his veterinary care. He gets x-rays, eye drops. He has his own uh, heart doctor, cardiologist. He has his own eye doctor who comes and checks the pressures in his eyes. We stain his eyes. We look in his eyes. We give him multiple eye drops. Um, he had eye surgery a couple of he years is, back. He has better health care than I do. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. We brush his teeth every day, which, you know, it's questionable for me. So, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> but he, you know, he does voluntary blood draws. Again, questionable for me. May have to be held down sometimes. Um, voluntary injections. Um, like the echocardiogram, for example, which is basically an ultrasound of his heart. He had never met this cardiologist before. It's a complete stranger to him. So, you know, this random guy comes in and basically ultrasounds his heart for 20 minutes. And he just laid there because I had been working on it for, you know, a couple of weeks, um, maybe in like a couple months. And, um, you know, we practice with a little deodorant stick taped to a piece of tubing, taped to a little plastic box. And, you know, our vet came in and we did some little practice runs. So it seemed kind of realistic. And then 
this guy came in and took a t- took a look and he was given a clean bill of health. So he gets regular blood work and all that kind of stuff too. So how do you voluntarily get a sea lion to give blood? Like I even have a problem with myself. Like I pass out when I see needles. How do you do that? Uh, we train using positive reinforcement, uh, which basically just means that everything that they do correctly, um, they are given a reward. So whether that be fish or uh, ice cubes, jello, rub downs, uh, toys, praise, um, they get something that they like for something that they do right. And anything that they do incorrect, we just ignore and move on. So um, if they do something incorrect or they just don't want to participate at all, we just move on and try something later or do something that they want to do. They always have a choice to participate or not participate. But basically what we're doing is we're building our relationships with them um, so that our relationships aren't just based on fish but they're based on, you know, great things happening when we're around. If you think about it, you know, with your pets, um, not that our animals are pets, but, you know, as far as relationships go, you know, with my dog, I don't have to give him a cookie every time, you know, he comes over and hangs out with me or, you know, we play fetch with a ball. He does all that stuff because he likes to. Uh, We try to build our relationships with our animals the same way based on trust based on those good things happening. So um, we spend time with our animals outside of those, you know, feeding times where we're just hanging out, we're just rubbing them down, we're just spending time with them, we're just playing with them, acting like goofballs. We do a variety of different training sessions, sometimes just playing, sometimes just relaxing, sometimes with toys. Um, And then we also build uh, the reinforcement value of different things like toys or ice cubes or jello so that we have a variety of things to give to them that they enjoy. So when you're training small behaviors or big complex behaviors like an echocardiogram, you have a variety of things to give to them that they find rewarding. So for something like um, that you would consider uh you know, traditionally maybe uncomfortable or scary, uh, you know, for the past five years, JR has been doing only good, happy, fun things with me. Um, He knows that great things happen when I'm around. So basically we build up uh, things like, you know, something unfamiliar touching his hind flipper in small steps. And then that might touch him a little bit harder and a little bit harder. And that thing that touches him turns into, you know, from a finger to maybe a paper clip. And then that paper clip presses down a little bit harder. And then maybe somebody else comes in and touches him with a paper clip. And then that somebody else turns into the actual veterinarian. And then the actual veterinarian comes in with maybe instead of a paper clip, a needle, but it doesn't actually stick into his skin until we get to a point where he's holding still for a long enough period of time. And Whatever happens back there, he's just hanging out because he knows he's going to get a big reward at the end, and you can successfully do whatever you need to do back there. Even though it might be a little bit uncomfortable, the risk is worth the reward, and uh, that's how you can successfully 
take care of your animals in a zoo or aquarium. We call it cooperative husbandry and it reduces the risk for your animals as well as your keepers. Um, and it reduces stress for your animals as well as your keepers. So that's what we're always working towards with our animals. It reminds me when I was like seven years old, when I would go to the doctor's office and get like a lollipop. <laughs> when I was like 17, I was like, Yo, where's my lollipop? What is something fun about sea lions that most people do not know? Like a fun fact. There's like a million things. Go ahead and then, you know, mind you, Sam, time is money. So every pause is costing me like, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. That sea lion's closest land relative is the bear. That their their jaw structure jaw structure is exactly the same as the bear. People also don't know the difference between seals and sea lions. Yeah, so let's talk about that. What's the difference between a seal and a sea lion? So they are cousins, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, sea lions and seals are both technically seals. This is going to get confusing. Sea lions are considered eared seals. So... This is gonna get okay. It's fine. You you, you yeah, act like you act like I'm not gonna be able to understand this. You're like looking at me so intently. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's eared seals and there's true seals. Okay. Eared seals have ear flaps, so little ears on the side of their hat, outside of their heads, and uh, true seals just have a little hole, so no flaps. Um. Eared seals also, or sea lions, also swim with their front flippers. So they have long front flippers that they use to pull themselves through the water. True seals have short front flippers that they just kind of paddle along, but they don't really swim with them. Um, Eared seals can also, or sea lions, turn their hind flippers underneath them and walk on all fours. True seals just hop along on their belly, like a little inchworm. Yeah, like a little caterpillar. Yeah, and they use their hind flippers to swim, not their front flippers. Sea lions are, are slash eared seals are one of the only animals that swim with their front flippers like that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you think, now, do you think seals, because a lot of programs don't use seals that often, are they more difficult to train than sea lions? Um, I think they're just not as athletic so they don't do the same acrobatic stuff that sea lions do mm-hmm. but you know when you go to any other country seals hey, uh, 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 like they think they call them seals yeah so fur seals and sea lions same thing yep so that's yep. why it gets confusing well thank you for clearing that up for us pinniped 101 you know, one seal I would love to see out in the wild is the leopard seal. Do you have a bucket list? I have a pinniped bucket list. I want to see every pinniped in the wild. That's my dream. Really? Yeah. So let's go through it. So you have the stellar sea lion. I've seen those in Oregon. Ugh, I haven't. You haven't? They're huge. I mean, they're huge. And not that too, not too many facilities. I think Oregon has one. Not too many facilities have them, though, right? Mystic has them. Who does? Mystic. Okay, okay cool, cool. A and then we have life center has them. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. I think the leopard would be the top of my list. Yeah. I think they're on the top of mine too. That would be just incredible. Just incredible. Did so you know there's a freshwater seal in Russia. Where? 
in Russia. In Lake Baikal. Just in that area, just endemic to that lake? Yep. No. Yeah, got to go there. Let's go. I, let's go together. Maybe we'll have the Turtleback Zoo sponsor it. Let's do it. We'll do a That's... podcast. <laughs> we'll do a video. Let's go. Only freshwater seal. Nobody else has seen it. Let's go. So, Sam, what's it like day-to-day being a sea lion keeper? What are you doing right when you get there in the morning? So, you know, we have our little morning meeting where we get all of our info for the day zoo-wide. And then we head up to the building. Uh, we kind of divide and conquer. So one person goes and checks on the sea lions, does respiration rates. So they, they watch each sea lion for five minutes, um, counts how many times they breathe, and um, just kind of watches them, just make sure that they're breathing normally, that they're healthy behaviorally, that they're acting normally. Um, you know, kind of checks the exhibit, make sure everything's normal. Well, the other person goes and starts fish prep. So the person who does fish prep buckets for the eight, um, eight buckets for the sea lions for the day. And then some fish for aquarium, otters, penguins, a couple other animals throughout the zoo too. <clears throat> so while that person does fish prep, they bucket out um, the first buckets for sea lions. And then when given it, if you have two or three people in the section, usually it's two, sometimes it's three. Um, you know, that person comes back from checking on the sea lions, grabs whatever vitamins or medications the sea lions might need, and then grabs the fish prep person, and we go run back and do our first sea lion session of the day. We start around 8.30. We try to do that first session by 9 a.m., and we do our body check session. We get weights on the sea lions first thing, fasting, just like we would do, you know, take off all your clothes, you know, <laughs> pluck your eyebrows, pick your nose, brush your teeth, floss. Make sure that you are like good to go so that you're the lightest you could possibly be. <laughs> and then we give them their eye drops, their vitamins, everything. Um, check their flippers, their eyes, their mouth. And then do any sort of little um, husbandry stuff we might want to do. Um, then after that first session, we can kind of split up. Um, we can separate the sea lions out if we want to so that one person can clean, start cleaning while the other person goes back to fish prep. If we have three per people, two people can clean at one time or vice versa. Um, you know, sometimes we'll have somebody divide off and work on projects. We also recently started taking care of the otters. So sometimes we'll divide off and start working over at otters too. Okay. Now really uh, quick, have you ever come across a really, really aggressive sea lion in your career working with sea lions? Um, yes. His name was Wiggy. Wiggy? Um, Wiggy. He's probably um, mad because of his name. Wait, Winky or Wiggy? Wiggy. Winky, like wink, wink? No, like Wiggy, like wigging out. <laughs> oh, that's what I said. So Wiggy, okay. <laughs> yeah. He was a grump, but he was my favorite. Don't tell JR. They were best friends. Oh my goodness. And what, I mean, was he just like, would he like charge you? Like I'm trying to figure no, out what an aggressive it's not he was um, like super aggressive, like not like beyond repair aggressive. He just was, um, you know, like old and liked his personal space and don't come into my personal space. And like, you know, through years of training, if you haven't been with the same animal for 20 years, 
you have no idea what people have trained or untrained years past. And so what happens is sometimes people accidentally train or untrain precursors to aggression. So with any animal, there's there are precursors to an aggressive incident because animal will be aggressive because of fear, because of pain, because of frustration. And, um, you know, with a sea lion, a lot of times it's like wide eyes or like an exhale. You know, every animal's different. Um, so sometimes by accident, people might untrain that. And so they don't show any precursors to aggression. So then all of a sudden that creates what we call flash aggression, where they just like rage and it doesn't come from anywhere. Wiggy showed precursors for sure. So I wouldn't say that he would was like a flash aggressor, but uh, you know, he was one of those like all talk, no action until eventually there was action. Oh my <laughs> so goodness. Like, you know, um, but he was, he was a challenge. And, you know, I like a challenge. So he was, um, he was just different. Like he was hard of, uh, you know, had like cataracts at one point, you know, if he would see a shadow, he would kind of like start at it, you know, stuff like that. So you had to be careful around him. Um, mm -hmm. So he got me on the leg one time, but. You know, he didn't do a lot of damage. It was just like that. We, we always say as trainers, like ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time, it's our fault. You know, it's one of those things where we were in a weird situation, and I took a step the wrong way, and he was uncomfortable, and the weird shadow happened, and it was totally like I shouldn't have pushed him in that direction, and he was just like ah, and then. Oh, like went running in the opposite direction and mm. um you know i wouldn't blame him for it at all that's interesting is there any like safety precautions when you do work with them like are you able to actually get in the water with the sea lions because i mean i know on land obviously when you're training but are there any safety precautions like in the water or we um don't get in the water with our animals right now uh we have protocol for well, so we have a training plan in place for like maybe eventually working towards that, but you like make decisions based on animals' personalities and, you know, making a call on, you know, if animals being shifty that day, do you really decide to get in the water with them that day? Or if they're starting to lose their sight, do you get in the water with them? Or if there's something socially going on between them, do you risk getting in the water with them and something being displaced on you? Um, so we, we have talked about it, but that is their space at the same time. So us getting into the water is in, in getting into their space. So you have to really go about it in small, small steps. So um, it's kind of in the works, like we're talking about it now. Um, but it's definitely like a long process. So we have like a whole protocol put into place where there's a recall for safety purposes, where an animal's like really, really trained to respond to go to somebody else. If there's like an emergency where if somebody falls in or if somebody gets hurt, you know, like 
somebody blows a whistle over there and the animal just goes away. So um, we're kind of working on some of that stuff, but it's a, it's, it's a long process. What is your favorite part of your job? Uh, my relationship with the animals. Definitely. Your favorite just, is it just one-on-one -on -one time? Yeah. You know, you're like, it's different with every animal and I could look back on every animal I've worked with and, you know, some animals you have like a really special bond with and some animals like, you know, you just don't get each other. Like some you really connect with and some you don't. Um, and that sometimes that's your fault. Sometimes it's just personalities. Um, but some like really, really touch you and you just have like a special connection with. And, um, you know, they're all very different and they all have their own personalities. But that's like a super special thing because you spend a lot of time like building that relationship with them. And um, when you see it like come into action, like when it like really pays off, that's super rewarding. You know, like when you have an animal that's say like sick or like not interested in eating or like, you know, just like, you know, you don't have that fish with you but they succeed or they look to you for guidance, um, then you know that everything you've been doing is worth it. You know, like you've got an animal that just like is totally not interested in food because they feel crappy, but um, you know, they'll go where you ask them to go in an emergency or something or in like a, you know, a situation where they're or not feeling well because of your relationship with them. Like that's always amazing when that works out, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to anyone who wants to pay, uh, pursue a career being a Marine mammal trainer? I would say like get as much experience as you can, like early on, you know, like work at your local vet hospital, volunteer at your, you know, animal shelter, internship, internship, internship. Like, if you really want this, don't give up. Um, you know, you, it's really, really competitive. You know what I mean? Um, you've got to prove that you want it. You, because nobody owes you anything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you've got to stick it out. And, yeah. um, gotta pay your dues you start at the bottom nobody knows your name you're scrubbing buckets for a oh, year you know like doing all that, that stuff I, you're not I getting paid that. for it like oh. all that jazz um and you just grin and bear it and then one day somebody will call you super intern which they don't know your actual name but Word will spread that the, hey, super intern, that's what your name was there. And that's what they said to me when I got to Georgia from San Diego. Nobody knew my name in San Diego, but they go, hey, that's what they called you. And I was like, really? I had no idea. No idea. They called you super intern. I was like, whoop. And they're like, oh, really? You know, but. Um, <laughs> me? <laughs> um, you know, like, it, you can't just keep your head down. Just work hard. And, uh, you know, it, if you really try and you really stick it out, you'll get there. You know, there's, I had my fair share of rejection. Trust me. It'll work out if you want it to. Um, and, 
you know, even if you got a 53 in chemistry. <laughs> well, like, I seriously think your whole journey is so incredibly inspirational from you basically setting up your own volunteer internship to just pursuing your dreams. I just think I, just your whole story is very inspirational for anyone who wants to pursue a marine mammal career. Thanks. Thank you. It worked out for me. You know, it's a really, really rewarding job. It doesn't pay the most. I'll also warn you kids of that. Um, but, you know, you get to play with the animals that you love and, you know, teach people about why it's important to protect them in the wild and conserve the environment and stop using straws. <laughs> but, um, you know... It's very rewarding. And like I go to high school reunions now and people are like, are you kidding me? You, you actually achieved your dreams? Like, remember when we were in the second grade and you said you wanted to do that? You're amazing. You're like, who actually does that? Like people still, like a girl from my high school, from my middle school that I've known since I was a kid reached out to me last year. And she's like a, uh, an administrator for a high school in the city. And she was like, Hey, I've got this girl, you know, um, who, um, I just can't get through to. And she wants to be a Marine biologist. Could you talk to her? And like, I talked to this, you know, 17 year old girl on Skype, just about like, Hey, maybe you could volunteer at New York aquarium or blah, blah, blah. And, um, and you know, the, this friend of mine who I hadn't talked to since, you know, high school reach out. She was like, oh my God, this girl lights up whenever I talk about you. Thank you so much. Like, you know, I think you finally got, like, we got through to her. Like, you know, I can't believe that you actually followed your dream. Like, what, you know, so that means a lot to me when people actually remember that and notice that. Cause, you know, there's a lot of people who just give up or don't bother to follow their dream. And like I said, I had a really supportive family who, could have easily said, oh, no, like, get a real job, <laughs> you know, like, go do something that makes six figures, which, you know, sometimes I'm like, why didn't I do that? <laughs> I can't pay the bill. But, uh, you know, at other times, you know, when somebody's like, wait a minute, what's your job? That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> well, I think it's great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You know, the show's about people who dedicate their lives to animals and who are passionate. And you can genuine, genuinely tell that you're very passionate about sea lions and your job and inspiring others. So thank you so much. Thank you for allowing me to blab about them for this whole time. We could blab more. We're only into an hour. No. I'm going to have a voice tomorrow. I don't even know. I could talk about them forever. I really could. <laughs> I think I got 15 minutes into my day. I was like, well, first we found the fish. And you're like, next topic. I'm done. <laughs> we could go. I thought you were... <laughs> I thought you were done. You were I going in depth. Like, yeah, 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 whatever. What happens when they bite you? <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.